Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and Corridor Aesthetics.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Later this hour, we'll meet Kaylin Jade, an artist whose work explores environmental concerns and the relationships between humans and nature. She's using her art to raise environmental awareness, and she is also taking her message to TikTok. But first, a gift of land is more than tripling the amount of reconstructed tall grass prairie that is managed by the Tall Grass Prairie Center at the University of Northern Iowa. Back in 2018, the Irvin family donated 77 acres to the center. Now, Kathy Irvin has increased that amount to 300 acres, which will make the Irvin Prairie one of the largest tracts of reconstructed tall grass prairie in eastern Iowa. Kathy Irvin is going to join us in just a few minutes. With me now is Laura Jackson. She is the director of the Tall Grass Prairie Center and a professor of biology at the University of Northern Iowa. Hello, Laura. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. And when the Tallgrass Prairie Center was first founded, it grew out of a program at the University of Northern Iowa that was providing support to people who were reconstructing prairies all over the state. And it wasn't necessarily envisioned at the start of being a place that was associated with having a large tract of prairie that was managed by the center. In fact, there was just just a small, a small plot of prairie at the beginning, right? Well, that's right. It's um, we're actually celebrating our fiftieth anniversary of planting prairie on the UNI campus. Daryl Smith planted our first prairie in 1973. Wow! But the center itself began around the core program of the Integrated Roadside Vegetation Management Program, which is supporting counties that chose to have a roadside program and manage their roadsides with uh, native vegetation and spot spraying and, you know, more limited mowing and just more of an ecological approach to roadsides. So as the the Tallgrass Prairie Center um, really evolved, uh, there came a time when you had the opportunity to accept this donation from the Irvin family and work on 77 acres to to reconstruct a prairie. Can you tell me about how that came about? Well, um, it started with a field day that we were having in near Dysert on the farm of Randy Luz, who had uh, worked with us to establish some prairie strips uh, on, within his field for erosion control and other benefits. And so we had invited um, anyone to come and take a look at this project and ask questions and, and talk about the benefits of using this new conservation uh, practice on farms. And uh, Kathy Irvin happened to be a neighbor, and she had shown up at that field day, and we hadn't really met her directly or anything. But then a couple of years later, or a year later, she came to us with this idea for uh, creating a memorial for her husband, David, and and um, creating a place where people could come and see what Iowa used to look like. And it was an astonishing, um, <laughs> it was an astonishing moment. Well, and I want to bring Kathy into the conversation now, too. Kathy Irvin is a retired special education teacher, and she lives in northwest Benton County. Hello, Kathy. Good morning. 
Thank you so much for being here. What do you remember about that first encounter and and how these ideas started percolating in your brain? It was kind of a surprise that that Laura was surprised. I thought it was kind of a natural thing to do. So it just evolved into something that's very natural. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kathy, tell me a little bit about the family farm. Yes. The farm has been in David's family since around the time of the Depression. It was in his mother's side of the family. So when David's dad got done with the Navy after World War II, that's what he wanted to do. So they started farming in the early 50s until they were unable to keep going because of health reasons. And at that time, David and I moved to the farm and I've lived there ever since. And David is your late husband and he also was a farmer. So can you tell me a little bit about how the land was used during your time of of actively farming? Soybeans and corn. It was a row crop farmed, but he was a conservation-minded farmer. So he did the conservation practices that were popular at that time, not as nearly as much as farmers are doing with cover crops and different uh, methods now. But at the, at the time, they, he was conservation uh, mm-hmm. supporter. And tell me a little bit about your relationship to conservation and, and your interest in prairie. How did that develop? For Prairie specifically, both my husband and I read Where the Sky Began by John Madsen. It just enthralled us. It made us picture an Iowa that we had never seen and yet wished we could see. So that started me coming up to the Prairie Center for some workshops and different things through the years. But other than that, uh, and a trip to Neil Smith uh, Prairie in Mm -hmm. Uh, central Iowa. Uh, prairie was kind of nebulous and, and out there. So uh, when we, I started talking with Dr. Jackson, it was, uh, became a reality. So the idea of donating this land after your husband passed away, um, the two of you don't have children, but you're still sitting on an incredibly valuable piece of farmland. We know about the value of land in Iowa, the price of land in Iowa. What made you think that donating it to the Prairie Center was what you wanted to do? When David died, I was fairly rudderless. I didn't quite have a purpose. I I was in mourning, I guess. Mm -hmm. One of the things that did connect me to him was my feeling of stewardship for the land. So it became kind of a natural to make a a little bit of Iowa come back to how it had been. And Laura, I want to ask you, so when Kathy donated that first 77 acres of land, Taking land that had been in row crop production and reconstructing native prairie on that land is a big challenge. It's something that you had been helping many other people do uh, with the Tallgrass Prairie Center. But starting from scratch, what did that feel like to you? 
Well, an awesome responsibility, um, you know, something that we approached with a great deal of um, sober, <laughs> sober contemplation because, you know, even though you can uh, list a set of techniques and methods and best practices, it, it really is a huge challenge and a, um, you know, a sense of, of just great responsibility to do it as well as we possibly could. And fortunately, Kathy's been able to support, you know, provide the resources. So we had the staff time to really think this through and make detailed plans and, uh, you know, monitor the, the progress and um, check our results and adjust along the way. That's one reason that we wanted to do this in stages is so we could, you know, um, uh, correct any mistakes <laughs> yeah. and, and, and proceed slowly. So that's been an incredible gift is just the, the ability to develop our methods and to uh, change as we learn more and, and then share that with others. Anybody who um, has been involved in prairie reconstruction knows that it, it's it's a science. It's also an art, and there's also a lot of luck that that goes along with it. It is something that continues to evolve and change over time. And sometimes there are years where, especially in those early years, where things look pretty bad, and you think, "Uh oh, maybe <laughs> maybe this isn't going to come together after all." As the experts in this, did you feel extra pressure to get things right from the start? Oh, I wouldn't say that we felt extra pressure. Uh, one, one of the advantages of, of being the experts is that we can tell when things are going well <laughs> much earlier. You know, we crawl around on our hands and knees and find the, the seedlings that are coming up um, fairly readily in these, in these uh, new plantings. And even though to everyone else it looks like just a big weed patch, uh, we can see all the species that are emerging and growing, you know, with by August of the of the first growing season, they're they're there, uh, and so uh, that gives us confidence. That gives us, you know, reassurance. Things are are going fine, and even if somebody from the outside looks at it and sees weeds, we can see that that things are going well, and and so far so good. You know, we have had dry years um, where we worried a little bit, but those plants are there, and they're pretty well adapted to our our climate and, uh, of course, the incredible soils that we're, we're able to plant on here. You said that um, you worked on that, that first 77 acres in stages. Describe that for me. Well, uh, we started at the top of the ridge opposite of Kathy's house and driveway uh, so that we could start at... Um, so we wouldn't have any runoff from surrounding um, crop fields. And we did eight and a half acres the first year, which was a modest amount. And then after that, we did an average of about 15 to 20 acres per year uh, in stages, just marching across the field from west to east. And the remaining um, the, the, that wasn't in prairie was still farmed. And uh, Kathy's tenant, uh, Brian Piepert, who's been a wonderful partner through all of this, so cooperative and helpful, uh, you know, coordinated so that we were planting into soybeans every year, which is tends to be easier to do than planting into corn stubble. And uh, so we were, you know, working with him. We were coordinating with which patch of land would come next and 
and and then you know as we like our first planting there was too much switchgrass in it so the next planting we reduced <laughs> the amount of switchgrass and and increased some other kinds of grasses and uh, just so on and so forth. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. I am talking with Laura Jackson. She is a professor of biology at the University of Northern Iowa and director of the Tallgrass Prairie Center at UNI. Also with us, Kathy Irvin. She's a retired special education teacher who lives in northwest Benton County. And she has donated her husband's family farm, her late husband's family farm, to the Tallgrass Prairie Center for Irvin Prairie, which now will be increased to 300 acres. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And then later in the hour, we'll meet artist Kaylin Jade, who is using her art to raise environmental awareness. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll meet artist Kaylin Jade, whose work explores environmental concerns and the relationship between humans and nature. She is taking her art and her message of environmental awareness to TikTok. But right now, we are talking about a gift of land that is more than tripling the amount of reconstructed tallgrass prairie that is managed by the Tallgrass Prairie Center at the University of Northern Iowa. It's a donation from the Irvin family. And first, they donated 77 acres to the center. Now, Kathy Irvin has increased that amount to 300 acres, which will make the Irvin Prairie one of the largest tracts of reconstructed tallgrass prairie in eastern Iowa. Kathy Irvin is with us, along with Laura Jackson, director of the Tallgrass Prairie Center and a professor of biology at the University of Northern Iowa. And Kathy, you've been able to observe this progress. Uh, Laura was describing how that first 77 acres was reconstructed and redeveloped bit by bit. So you've gotten to watch this progress uh, firsthand. What has that been like to watch the prairie take shape? It's been a joy. Every year there's something new, something exciting and different. The prairie is beautiful. And as as you said, it starts out kind of scruffy looking. Yeah. But uh, the second year is, is better and the third year is even better. Uh, one of the my favorite things is having the school groups come out and participate in planting the prairie or tending the prairie or having lessons that are arranged by the staff. for them to learn more about prairie. Well, Laura, tell me about that part of your mission, including young people in this. Well, um, we, of course, want to, uh, want this to reach young people. I mean, this, this, there's just nothing more important, really, than having children engage with nature and, and find, find their love for it, discover their love for it. And so this, um, having this in a rural area where the, the rural communities can, can send their kids out at, at whatever age <laughs> is really important to us. We are um, a bunch of botanists 
at the center. Uh, we're we're primarily focused on the plants and and how and the science of of establishing them. So, our um, our capacity to do a lot of outreach isn't what you might expect from say you know a nature center like Hartman Nature Center, any of, any of the wonderful um, nature centers that, that are devoted you know almost exclusively to that. So uh, you know we don't want to replace or 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 take the place of, um, you know, the Benton County Conservation Board or any or the the folks at Hickory Hills that do such a fine job with that work. But we definitely want to um, to uh, enable that and make it possible uh, for the space to be to be there for kids, um, you know, f- for now and in, for the for the foreseeable future. And now Northwest Benton County, um, I guess the the largest town in Benton County is Vinton. So if you don't know your counties very well, that might help you place (laughs) Benton County in the state of Iowa. That's quite a drive for you, Laura. Tell me about how you manage this work and and how UNI students are involved. Hmm. Yeah, well, we have um, uh, program manager Justin Meissen. He's... um, restoration ecologist who's been with us since 2016 and uh, he has a PhD in restoration ecology from University of Minnesota um, has been doing a lot of the planning and the execution of the the planting itself so um, he is out quite a bit Uh, there's lots of maps there's lots of aerial photos (laughs) and walking walking the land uh, to determine what the best seed mixes would be for the different soil types on on the property, and then um, you know we're purchasing seed well in advance of the planting, uh, using um, some pretty sophisticated protocols to source the seed as close to uh, Benton County as we can. In other words, the the genetic origin mm. of the of the prairie uh, seeds. Uh, are you know we're trying to get that as close as possible to to this region. Does that and mean you're so, you're trying uh, to collect um, seed from Virgin Prairie? Is there there's not a whole well, lot. <laughs> there's not enough of that. Um, the way it it has worked is that you know uh, we one of our other programs, the Plant Materials Program, we go out and collect seeds from Virgin Prairies and then grow that out in our greenhouse and then in small production plots and then we release that to the commercial seed companies that can grow it in large amounts. Mm. So, um, you know, we collect from a variety of different places uh, across uh, Iowa so that we're getting a, the genetic, we're getting a very diverse gene pool. So a lot of the, of the species that we plant have come from that process. It's just that we didn't grow them uh, directly. We, we provided that genetic stock to the seed companies. Um, so that that's one way that we're able to try to create as much of a of a, a an integrity to the seeds that we plant and make sure that they really are adapted to the site. Occasionally, we have taken seeds from a road ditch for a really unusual plant that grows uh, near Kathy that just sort of pops up in the road ditch and and isn't available in the commercial seed supply. What is and that? So we've been able. It's called Virginia bunch flower, unfortunate name, but it is a prairie plant. <laughs> um, and it's a beautiful white flower. It's in the lily family. And we saw it uh, in, I think, the summer of 2018. Uh, I found it, it flowering out of the road ditch about a half a mile from the, 
from the new Irvin Prairie that it was just getting started. And we, Kathy went back and collected seeds in the fall, and then we started growing it in tubs in our uh, at, back at the center, it took three years for those little seedlings to turn into something strong enough that we could transplant. Oh, wow. And then we've been transplanting them using a lot of UNI student labor and also help from um, Union High School has been out every year. Craig Hemseth's class has been out every year to help us transplant some of these special plants. And then UNI students have been involved as well. Um, they help us with the seed mixing. It's a very precise business, measuring out grams of, of you know, over 100 species of, of plants that we've, uh, that we've seeded out there. So that's all very meticulous work. And we, uh, Justin trains a UNI student to do that. The latest one was Damian Lindsay, and he did a wonderful job. Uh, and then, of course, they move on, they graduate, and we have to let them go. But uh, uh, they're working in the greenhouse, helping with those transplants. They're helping with the prairie burns. Uh, we had a 30-acre prairie burn last year. We had students out helping with that. So uh, I've, had, I've had research students in summer of 2020. I had two students that came out, and uh, they took separate cars because of the pandemic, but they drove out there and had uh, executed a little experiment out there and wrote up the results. So we get them involved as as much as we can. I'm talking with Laura Jackson, director of the Tallgrass Prairie Center at the University of Northern Iowa, and Kathy Irvin, who has donated 300 acres to the Tallgrass Prairie Center which is called Irvin Prairie. And Kathy, uh, we've talked about how you started with that first donation of 77 acres. What made you decide that it was time now to donate? And, and is this, first I should ask you, is this the entire farm? Not quite. Not quite, uh, okay. <laughs> 160 acres has been sold to Brian Peepert, who we've talked about as the cooperating farmer. So okay. it is the rest of the farm that I owned in the past. All right. So what made you decide that it was time to donate uh, this land? I think it uh, day one or year one convinced me that more would be better. And ever since that time, I had was planning on increasing the size of what would be donated. So you are still living on this land, right? I have 10 acres that's carved out and will be surrounded on all four sides by Irvin Prairie. Wow. A little house on the prairie. <laughs> <laughs> that That is wonderful. So... This work will proceed around you. You talked about young people coming to the prairie. Is this land that is open to the public for people who want to walk through a prairie, Kathy? 365 days of the year, dawn to dusk. There's parking area on the original 77-acre side, and we are kind of wondering how we're going to um, add it, add to that or keep it as the only parking area. But walk-ins are, are also welcome. Uh, bike riders have, have parked their bikes and walked the trails. We didn't talk about the pra prairie trails. Yeah, tell me Justin about the trails. Has, Justin has planned trails that double as fire breaks. So there's some times of the year they're quite wide and, and <laughs> welcoming. Other times they're narrower. But uh, 
pets and their owners who clean up after the pets are always welcome to get a nice walk around the prairie and through the prairie. And I assume we'll do the same thing on the north side when it uh, is far farther along. Uh, it's beautiful every day of the year. Some people say, well, I can't wait till summer when it gets pretty. And I say, oh, but it's pretty right now. <laughs> well, that is something I think that people who who haven't spent a lot of time in a prairie might not understand. You know, we, we love to talk about the seasonal changes when we think about trees, but seasonal changes in a prairie are really beautiful as well. Kathy, do you walk those trails a lot? Just about every day, oh, I'm lovely. fortunate enough to have pet that will walk that needs a walk, wants a walk, and so we usually get onto the prairie at least one of the several walks we take a day. I can imagine for some of your neighbors and and for people who live nearby, discovering this jewel has been very exciting. Do you get a chance to talk to people about the prairie, Kathy? Quite often I'm out walking on the trails when people arrive and we talk at great length. And sometimes when people stop to see the mural on the silo, they notice that there's something across the road and ask about it. And so I'm a great booster for it. (laughs) The mural on the silo. I don't know about that. What is that? (laughs) That is a picture of a prairie. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) I I had a, we had a, one of those concrete silos that was kind of an eyesore, and my brother-in-law called after he saw Land and Sky of Iowa on Iowa Public Broadcasting, and he said, you know, Kathy, you need to have a mural on your silo, and I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> and the more I thought about it, uh, I was convinced I did need to have a, a mural on the silo, a desert native. Adam Eikamp designed and painted it. It's a beautiful blue background with a big monarch and prairie flowers as well as a few bison on it. So it's it's fun to look at. Well, I just found a picture while you were talking, and it is really, really beautiful. Now, we only have a few minutes left, and um, I want to ask you, Laura, you mentioned the, you know, the incredibly fertile Iowa soil, and we know that the incredibly fertile Iowa soil was created by the tall grass prairie landscape over, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Of course, farming that land has depleted that soil. When you go to reconstruct a prairie, do we have the soil fertility to support our native landscape in the, in the way that it once grew here? Oh, I, I think absolutely. You know, these, these prairie plants were in competition with one another. And so even though they were, you know, uh, in a very fertile soil, so individual plants were, were still, you know, fighting for nutrients. And so they're very well adapted to um, to low low nutrients and and I wouldn't say these are are low nutrient soils they're still just inherently very fertile and over I think the biggest excitement is that over time as those prairie roots really in, encompass the entire soil profile going down many feet um, that they, they are changing the soil they're re, they're re creating the soil structure 
that we would have seen uh, when they were first plowed. So the the incredible higher the higher organic matter, the the crumb structure, the the biota in the soil, the fungi, the bacteria, all the life in the soil is is changing and and coming back. And you can just imagine these deep, deep prairie roots just getting thicker and thicker and (laughs) more and more, um, uh, you know, um, returning that soil to more of its original condition. We are working with the NRCS and and, um, they're they're coming out and doing soil cores of the the area that's still still in farmland. And then they'll continue to monitor those dynamic changes in the soil uh, characteristics and qualities over time, and including um, soil carbon. There is no wrong way to enjoy walking in a prairie or to enjoy this landscape. But um, Laura, when people visit a, a reconstructed tall grass prairie or a virgin tall grass prairie, what what do you think they should think about? What do you think they should take away from the experience? Mm. Well, I, I'm really, um, I think it's important to just be present, you know, and not think too much <laughs> or, or talk too much. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's fun to experience the prairie that way too, just going on a walk with a friend and talking, but it's a, it's a really special um, time to just kind of focus on what your senses are experiencing, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're smelling, what you're feeling, um, you know, with your with sense of touch. There's so much going on and it can completely, you know, surround you and immerse you if if you're if you let it. And and that um, that just those sensations are are very uh, it's really a, a renewal. It's really a kind of a, a renewal of, of the spirit to experience it that way. You don't need to know the names of the plants, um, but notice them, you know, the different textures, the different colors, the leaf shapes, the, the, the size. The, um, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's just a great uh, healing quality to all that that um, doesn't, doesn't require any um, explanation or website or <laughs> anything. Just, just the, the experience of walking uh, is enough. So well, I and, hope people will enjoy that. And once Irvin Prairie is, is fully reconstructed, Kathy, it's, it's large enough that someone really can get that feeling of, of being in our native landscape, in the middle of our native landscape here in Iowa. Thank you so much for, for talking with us. But Kathy, also thank you for this gift, which is not just for the Tallgrass Prairie Center, but really for all Iowans. Thank you. Thank you. Kathy Irvin is a retired special education teacher who lives in northwest Benton County, and she has donated Irvin Prairie to the Tallgrass Prairie Center at the University of Northern Iowa. I was also talking with Laura Jackson, who is director of the center and a professor of biology at UNI. Coming up in just a moment, we will meet an artist who is raising environmental awareness through her art and through TikTok. This is Talk of Iowa. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Kaylin Jade is an artist who is inspired by Iowa's natural landscape, native places, and native species. She paints with incredible detail works of art that explore nature and the human relationship with nature. She gives a lot of attention and love to Iowa's endangered species and to some of our less popular species. And she has developed quite a following on TikTok. She has over 6,000 followers and uses the app to promote her art, but also to to raise awareness. Here's some audio from one of her videos. This is the most heartbreaking comment and this is the reason why I make my art. Iowa is the most altered landscape in all of North America. The original prairie is biologically equally as diverse as many rainforests in South America. There are actually so many endangered species in Iowa because of this reason. I'm trying to do what I can to learn and share, but I also encourage you to visit some of Iowa's remaining beautiful natural places. We may not have scenic mountains or big preserved landscapes. Iowa's remaining beauty is oftentimes small and goes underappreciated. And the comment she was responding to is, to be honest, I didn't even think Iowa had endangered species or plants because Iowa is boring. (laughs) And I'm sure all of us from Iowa have heard somebody express that opinion sometime or another. Kaylin Jade lives in Cedar Falls. She is on the line with me now. Hello, Kaylin. Hi, Charity. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I want to know where your love of nature in Iowa started. Um, So I've grown up in Iowa, and I have a family who is very much interested in nature. I have a couple of father figures who were hunters and trappers, and we visited lots of beautiful places, and we camped, and my mom uh, and my grandmother taught me how to fish, and so I've always just kind of been enveloped in Iowa's beautiful places. So uh, you spent a lot of time outside growing up. That means you knew the secret that there are beautiful places and and wonderful species in Iowa. Tell me about how your awareness uh, about our landscape and our native landscape and some of the the true environmental concerns in the state grew. Yeah, so I was not aware of this, really, um, not fully until I went to the University of Northern Iowa. Um, There were a few classes that I took that brought this to light, and specifically one of them was taught by Angela Wasescook, where we merged art and ecology together uh, in a a class called Eco House. And so through that, I learned a bit more about the prairie. And then I started um, reaching out to conservationists and biologists myself to learn more. Tell me about how your art developed. We can look at your website. We can see a lot of your your really incredibly powerful, intricate, beautiful paintings. Tell me how you developed as an artist. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have always had a love for art ever since I was very young. And so I guess in the beginning, I, I was doing a lot of like wildlife and portraits, and, and that was always interesting to me. Um, And then through my education at UNI, I continued to develop this. And um, throughout my time after UNI, staying around the Cedar Falls, uh, Cedar Valley area, I 
actually did do a residency program with the Hartman Reserve Nature Center. And through that, I painted pieces that um, depicted endangered species, local endangered species. And um, that's when I really started to uh, develop my own interest and uh, stay curious and talk with some really incredible enthusiasts, biologists, and conservationists in the area uh, to learn more about each individual species and um, connect my artwork to the work that they had been doing. You have paintings, you do illustrations, you also have a beautiful mural that is under the First Street Bridge in Cedar Falls. When was that installed? Yeah, that was actually just recently this year. Um, uh, so I, I'd been working on that one for a while, but it had got, just gotten put up this fall around November. Um, so I'm really excited once it gets to be a lot more warm outside, <laughs> more people will be <laughs> biking in that area and seeing it. Uh, but I, I've seen some people enjoy it already. So uh, it's a nice spot for it. It might be a little tucked away, but right by the Cedar River, that piece um it's depicting uh, the cedar river and cedar wax wings as well as the cedar trees. So it kind of has its special little place right by the river there. And that's a bridge that a lot of cyclists do go under, right, on their on their way to George Wythe State Park? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So that, that I'm sure will, will brighten a lot of people's day when they see that. When they see these cedar wax wings, what do you want them to think about? Yeah, I hope so. Um, the namesake of Cedar Falls and um, the uh, name actually came from um, the indigenous people that did live around this area. Uh, so it's the namesake is from the cedar trees and then the cedar wax wings uh, because they eat the red cedar berries are also part of it. So it's all just kind of um, the namesake and uh, the beauty that our area really has. I, I really like cedar, the Cedar Valley and I stayed here because of all of the natural places that I have access to so immediately, and that really inspire my artwork. So you are still relatively young. Um, Tell me how you feel about your peers and their connection to the Native landscape. Do you find a lot of people in your age group who are like-minded and have had similar experiences? So, yeah, I would say that it is growing, and actually that video on TikTok was really inspirational for me um, to see all the comments of people who are just learning about this, um, people who may have learned about this because of my artwork, and then uh, people who are already installing prairies into their yards, um, and then just people that were sharing the general beauty of Iowa with each other and places to visit. Um, I think that's incredible. I I would say that my artwork um, is really focused on our connection to nature, um, and I think that it is pretty urgent that our relationship is dis- restored in this way. And I think that we are a very um, immediate visual culture right now. So I like how Kathy just said about um, the silo that has the mural on it that's attracting people to her prairie. Uh, I think that artwork has this ability to um, connect people and to immediately kind of uh, display a beauty that they may not have otherwise seen. And I think that all of these um, conservation efforts are really important. And just being able to do my little part 
uh, in uplifting their work and advocating for it and making it seen um, is what's really important to me. You uh, are an artist that is not your day job, although your day job also involves the arts. And, you know, raising awareness about your work, that's something that every artist probably has to think about um, because you need people to know about what you're doing if you're going to make a living as an artist. What yeah. what made you decide TikTok was the place you wanted to uh, spend your time? You know, it's so funny. It's It just, it kind of just blew up. Uh, which is pretty amazing to be um, living in this time where something like that can happen. I just made a video in my studio sitting on my floor <laughs> responding to a comment. Um, I just kind of decided, like, you know, I, these things are important to me, and um, this media is so immediate that I think that it's worthwhile to put aside any of my own inhibitions and just make a video explaining and um, that's really what happened. I I do have, yes, my day job and then um, that supports my artwork which I do sell online um, and so social media is uh, really incredible and it's amazing that we can all connect in this way and I think that the more people are aware of these issues, um, the more we can come together and actually make a real change, which is just really exciting. And so you you started out raising awareness about your art, but I mean, you are using this platform really to teach people, to, to help people understand native species in Iowa. Tell me what you see as your mission. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I've, I've met with some really incredible biologists um, and some of them are working here in uh, the Cedar Valley that are, um, you know, professors here at UNI. And I've gone out on the field with them and watched them interact with species, um, endangered species that they're conserving. And it's very hard work. And um, it's just really incredible. Uh, and I think that it goes um, unnoticed and as well as the species going unnoticed. So... Um, yeah, I guess I just, um, I just, I really value that. And I'm kind of like the middleman, I guess. Like, I don't personally know that much, really. I, I'm not a biologist myself, but I uh, strive to stay curious and understand and um, relay this information to uh, people that might not have known. And I think I pick up on some of the things that are, uh, you know, maybe incredibly cool about a certain species or um, something exciting that other people might be interested in uh, so that when we're driving uh, through Iowa looking at all the cornfields, maybe someone will think a little bit harder about what's out there, what we've lost, and what we can regain. You have a series of paintings that you did um, called Extirpations in the Anthropocene. And um, you have, there's kind of a tension here because there are some really incredibly beautiful paintings that you've done of the rusty patched bumblebee, of the blue spotted salamander. But you also have a painting here of a wood turtle that if I, certainly looks like it's dead to me. Um, so, which, you know, I have a, some of these paintings, I'm like, oh, I wish I could put that on my wall. A dead turtle doesn't make me want to put that on my wall. So I'm, I am curious <laughs> about your inspiration for, for the different ways that you portray these species. 
Yeah, so um, I do kind of have like an avenue of artwork that is a little more immediate um, that is uh, available, you know, to the masses that I make um, prints of. And then I have artwork that is maybe a little more poetic, a little more um, uh, thought-provoking in that way and might be um, a bit more raw about the loss because uh, these things are beautiful, but the reality is that these things are dying. And if we don't do anything about that, um, they will go away. And so the turtles, the wood turtles, are an endangered species in the area. Um, I worked with Jeffrey Tamplin, who is a biologist at UNI, uh, and I went out with his crew and I took photos. And that uh, painting is actually removed. Like it's a it's a piece of a photo that I took of um, one of the students taking the temperature of a turtle and weighing them. Mm. Um, but removed from that situation and all that tender care, there's this question that this turtle's kind of looming and nothing. Its habitat is diminished. It's um, fragile. There's the question of loss. And that piece is um, a little, maybe a little more dark, but I think that you know, that's an important aspect of what I've seen and what I'm also trying to portray. You also have done incredible paintings of invasive species. And I have such a hard time imagining spending that much time lovingly, beautifully portraying the <laughs> Japanese beetle, which is, I mean, on, on Friday horticulture days, we spend a lot of time with a lot of people hating this invasive species. <laughs> what are you communicating through through this work, which really is stunningly detailed and and amazing? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, that was my BFA show. And at the time, somebody had said, but why paint bugs? Like, why are you interested in bugs? <laughs> and um, my response was, okay, well, then I will paint them huge because <laughs> they are important and we all should know about them. And so I did, I made them kind of like more human related life size. They were about six foot or eight foot paintings. And there was just one day where I had visited a prairie in Cedar Falls uh, and I saw our Iowa flower, the wild rose, for the first time. And I was really excited about that. And then the next day I came back to see it again and they were all being eaten by these ravenous um, Japanese beetles. <laughs> and there were clusters of them and they were glistening in the sun. They're just, you know, they were captivating and beautiful and ugly and absolutely demolishing something that I was so excited to see. Yeah. Uh, so then I really started researching into them and I understanding where they came from and um, just how devastating an invasive species can be. And that really led me down a rabbit hole of this thing leads to this thing and it's all an interconnected web and the ecosystem is incredibly fragile and um, we definitely have a big role in it. And so I think it's important to also realize that, yes, we do have invasive species and they interact with our species in this way. And maybe some of them, like the pheasants, um, are not as much of a problem, but others like the Japanese beetle really can be. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's also um, that it's a big conversation. There's a lot going on in our ecosystem and that's another big, big issue. Well, there's there's really there's a lot of 
there's some darkness in your work. There's a lot of lightness in your work as well as you just lovingly illustrate or paint some of the species in Iowa that, yes, may be endangered, but you are also portraying them in such incredibly beautiful ways. Where do you see this going for you? Yeah, um, that's maybe a hard question to answer, but I... I definitely just want to spend as much time as I can on artwork and art making. It's what makes me happy. It's ultimately um, such a big part of my life. So I'm just continuing to do the best that I can, um, make more work about the things that I care about. And um, ultimately, I'm hoping that my business that I started a year ago now officially uh, with making and selling my artwork. I'm hoping that I can um, spend more time on that. I just recently bought myself a printer, which is huge. I'm so excited that I'll be able to make more things and share more things. Um, And hopefully things just continue to grow and I continue to be able to buy myself more time because I am not about to run out of species to paint about. There's just more and more. And the more I learn, the more I find. <laughs> Kaylin, thank you so much. Thank you. Kaylin Jade is an artist who lives in Cedar Falls. You can see her work online, kaylinjade.com. That's C-A-Y-L-I-N-J-A-Y-D-E. Talk of Iowa is produced by Danny Gear, Samantha McIntosh, and Caitlin Troutman. We had technical support today from Phil Moss. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.